Welcome to Life Outside of Sport, where we'll be diving in and exploring what happens once the game is over. My name's Lewis Harrington, PGA golf professional, and I'll be joined, as always, by Dean Hammond, former Premier League footballer and co-founder and creator, Liam DC. Liam, how are you this week? Good guest we've just had there, yeah? Yeah, oh, fantastic. Gimme uh, was great for, for City when, despite the relegation, he was one of the, the many one of the few highlights that we had during that period um, and he's he's well loved by all the clubs he's played for it's, it's been one hell of a journey for him through his career so it was good to hear a lot of positives a lot of great mindset stuff coming out of him so no it was it was fantastic absolutely and Dean I know you obviously were smiling a few times throughout this one with um, a few uh, things that you could relate to um, enjoy it as well loved it absolutely loved it um played against Ian many, many times. Um, obviously not spoke to him on a, on a personal level before. And you're right, so many of his... Uh, the discussion was very relatable. Uh, smiling all the way through because I was pitching myself. Similar personality to myself. I'd say the journey and the story is pretty similar to mine as well. And, and one thing that I love from the interview, you could just feel the passion that, that Ian's got for football. He had it during his career. He's still playing now, um, but the passion he still holds for the game um, and the passion he holds for the game that's going to take him into the next part of his life is, is, is brilliant, um, which, which is great to listen to, really. Um, and, and really rubbed off me and put a smile on my face for that. So, yeah, great interview, really good person and, and speaks really, really intelligently. He's got a good understanding and education of the game. And, yeah, it's a good listen. Absolutely. And obviously, there's a few stories about a couple of Range Rovers purchased as well. Um, so, <laughs> no, without, very quickly. <laughs> without further ado, um, it's a fantastic story. Um, here's our chat with, uh, with Ian Hume. Thank you for, for, for coming on um, and obviously an incredible career um, with ups and downs, um, as we know, um, and we'll touch on, I'm sure. But uh, if it's OK with you, mate, we'll go back to the start. Why football? Why football for you, Ian? Um, it's all I ever really knew. Um, when I'm, I moved over to Canada, so I was born in Scotland, um, moved over to Canada when I was a year and a half old, so... British upbringing. My, my, my parents, Scottish, season ticket holders at Hearts. Um, so it was always in, in the blood and in the makeup of my family. So my brother and I, we both played soccer. Um, so yeah, soccer, football. Um, from a young age, I started when I was three, hated it. Um, dad wouldn't let me play baseball because baseball was the big thing. Wouldn't let me play baseball. He goes, no, you're not doing it. You can sit out. So I sat out that year and then I went back at four and played, played since. So 33 years I've been, been plugging away and just, it was, it's always just been in the makeup of my family and it's just the culture as, as we know back there, the culture is football. It's, it takes over your Christmas periods. It takes over every well, eight months a year, year. And it's just something that was always drummed into me. And I, I fell in love with the game at a really young age. And I was very, very fortunate that, I made the career that I did. 
So you mentioned like early travels from from to and fro. Was was that always the case, or was there a long period of time where you were were one or the other, where you came back here and obviously, when did it start yeah, to well, get uh, a little more serious? Um, I'd say got really serious when I turned about eleven, because um, I, I lived over here until I was just before I was sixteen. So, I'd what fourteen and a half years in in Canada, and I was. I, it's not fair to say I was head and shoulders above the rest of my age group, but I was, I was definitely in the top, top two or three in in the country for my age. Um, and I, it didn't come without its its speed bumps. I'd I'd come over on trial when I was thirteen. I went over to Saint Mirren. Um, I was I was really good for thirteen. Like I was I was rapid. <laughs> Obviously slowed down as the years went on, and Dean can vouch for that. As you get older, the legs start going. Oh, I never um, had pace, mate, so never trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that was it. Like, so I went over and I was 13. I was training with the under 16 team with St. Mirren and ended up training a couple of days with the first team and the reserves at 13 years old, which was incredible, especially for Canadian. Um, and they promised the world. So spoke to the manager, spoke to the youth team coach, promised the world were offering me back in the day, a YT and a, like a two year YT and a two year pro and, I was buzzing. So they were like, okay, well, go back to Canada. When you're 15, nearly 16, we'll bring you over, do your schoolboy, do your YT, and then do your pro. So I was, I was buzzing with that. They sent scouts over to watch me, everything. And then they stopped answering calls and stopped answering emails. And at 13 year old, it was, it was heartbreaking because I had my head set on it already. And it was back to the, the drawing board and kept doing what I was doing. I was playing for my local team, um, playing for Ontario. So the province, and then it was before I was in the national system. So I was still at the highest I could possibly be. And and back then it was you either finished high school and went to university in the States or you took a risk and went abroad. They, they didn't have the MLS. Uh, Canada didn't have the MLS teams. And there wasn't a semi-pro league that was of, like, of note that you would throw your career into. It wasn't worth it. Um, so... The next year, I just kept plugging away and banging goals in and doing what I was doing. And I had an opportunity. Um, somebody spotted me and they're like, oh, listen, Hearts, go over to Hearts. They want to they wanna see you. It was a dream for me. And family's all season ticket holders still up in Edinburgh. And I had that planned for a week. Um, and then I was supposed to go to York and Hartlepool. For, so I was over for three weeks with my mum and I was supposed to go to all three for a week. And I did the first week at Hearts. And I was on fire. I was training with the under 16s and under 18s and playing games with the under 16s at 14 year old. And I was banging goals. And I think at two or three games, I think I scored four or five goals and trained with the reserves and whatever and ended up canceling the other two weeks. So I stayed at Hearts for three weeks and they seen everything. I sat down with uh, the youth team coach and uh, Jim Jeffries, who was the first team manager. And he asked me like, what, what's gone on? Like, why, wh why aren't you at St. Mirren? We'd heard about your name and all that. And all of a sudden he's like, well, we'll report them to the SFA. We'll sign you up. We know you're a born and bred hearts fan. It's, it makes sense. And that's Jim Jeffries telling me that. So Jim Jeffries was one of my heroes at the time, because obviously being a hearts fan, you're watching, you're watching him on the sideline and they're challenging for trophies every year with Heart, uh, Rangers and Celtic. And then they did the exact same thing. They completely bombed me out, um, stopped answering calls, 
the youth team coach stopped replying uh, to my mum and dad and to myself and back to the drawing board again. So I was back over to Canada. And by then I was, I was breaking into the, the national team system. So I was 14 playing and training with the under 17s. So playing with Ontario, still playing with my local team. So six, six, seven days a week training, um, sometimes eight, eight or nine, depending on if we had games and training sessions with both teams. So I'd, I'd train one, one morning, a 45 minute drive away. I drive back and train at night with my team and, I, I put my heart and soul into it and I, I was getting better. I was getting bigger and stronger. And um, I just set my mind to it that I knew I'd already made the decision at 13 that this is what I wanted to do. Um, so it ended up being, there was a, like a select team from around the Toronto area. So I, I grew up in Brampton, which is about 40 minutes from Toronto. And we had a, it's a pedigree for Canadian soccer right now. Like there's so it's a, it's just a conveyor belt. Like I think there's six or seven guys in the national team right now that are through the Brampton system. And um, back then it was myself and another boy, Atiba Hutchinson, who were, who were the names from Brampton at the time. And uh, well, uh, Dean, remember, do you remember Paul Stolteri played for Spurs? Yep. Uh, yep. Right back. He, he's a Brampton boy as well. So we had, we had the pedigree of players coming out of our city and, I ended up joining that select team. Like they, I was, they were two years older than me. They were an under 18 team and I was uh, just turned 15. So I, I came over with them and we played a couple games. We played against England schools, um, played against Everton and played against Tramia. And I played well in all three games, bang goals in all three games. And the Everton scout said to our coach, like, oh, we like the kid up front. Only problem is he's, he's kind of small. We've already got a young striker coming through the system who we're edging our bets on. And thankfully they did that and not me because he ended up captain in the country. So it's one of those. It's um, he like Rooney was a year younger than me. So I, I didn't know that then. I knew it once I signed for Tramia um, because obviously we played against him all the time and he ended up being not a bad player. So <laughs> I think they made the right decision there. Um <laughs> But now I played against Tranmere and banged, I think I banged two or three goals and they they knew it was an under-18 team. So it was Tranmere's under-16s against our under-18 select team. So they the scout comes up and says, oh, we really like the kid up front. Like, what's the deal with him? And they said, well, he's, he's a lot younger than the other guys. So they're like, oh, okay, well, how old is he? He said, he's, well, he's just turned 15. So he's like, yeah, the problem is the Canadians with work permits and coming to the UK. And they said, well, you're in luck because he's born in Scotland. He's got his passport already. So the the lights start tinging in the scout's head and he's like, okay, we'll pass his number. And before I got home, like I think we flew home the day after, before I got home, they'd already contacted my mum and dad and they wanted to bring me back over. So finished the season in May. I think that was in February we were over there, or end of January, February. And in May, I was back over for a for an end of season tournament and did really with the under 18. So ended up playing really well and went to France, scored the winner in the final against Port Vale. We go to Paris to play a tournament and play Port Vale in the final, which was <laughs> the biggest wasted journey ever. We could have just gone down the M6 for an hour and got them, but, um, but did really well. And the, the under 18 coach and the, the head of youth were there and they both messaged John Aldridge at the time and said, listen, we need to sign this kid up. So that was it. It was. It wasn't even a a situation that I allowed to 
to happen again with with St. Mirren and Hearts. It was they said it right away after I was out there in May, and they're like, "Listen, we've got to do it." So they'd sent through a contract before I got home to my mum and dad, and obviously a bit of negotiation here and there. I couldn't come over for forty five pound a week, like leaving my family and three and a half thousand. I couldn't come over for that, but we we negotiated something. So ended up saving up quite a bit of money over the next couple of years and uh, got that got that sorted. So I, I, I flew over September 13th, 1999 and flew out August 17th, 2020. So I was, I was over there for some time and again, nearly 600 games and just uh, fortunate that everything kind of landed in, in my lap and uh, I worked my stones off to keep it there and... Uh, Third time's a charm, I guess that's the, that's the one they always say, isn't it? Third time's a charm, so got knocked back, but I didn't let it, I let it affect me for a short term, but I, I knew what my goals were. So I, I took it with both hands once it finally came. It's incredible. You, you mentioned there like two early rejections of, you know, you have a dream growing up. Um, there's a few questions. Let's, let's go there first. Can I, Canadian football as you're growing up, is, is that a differential? Um, for for you growing up against the other the other children, is that a differential of sport choice? Oh yeah, um, saying that it's the biggest sport in the country now. Like as 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 not got the prestige of playing hockey because you play hockey here, you go to the NHL, you make millions, your household name. That's that's the be all and end all. Um, with football here back then, we had nothing. We had university, or we had you take a punt and go abroad. That was that was it. We we had the A League, which was a semi pro league, and you got like expenses, like it, you couldn't make a living off it. You had to still work a nine to five and then go and do that. And um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And some people might know that's their level, but at 13 I was already at that level. So I'm like, there's, and that's no arrogance from myself. It's I was training with guys who were playing in that league, and I was 13 years old. So I knew I was beyond that. I, I knew I had a, a mindset and a, the capability of making a career out of the game. Um, so that was like, I had friends who played basketball, friends who played hockey, friends who played baseball. I played soccer. That was it. And in school, I played everything. So they, they would always ask me to go and play baseball with them, play in their team or go and play basketball in a league. And it just wasn't me. I did it for school. I played for every single team, captain every single team, but soccer was my was my love, and I knew at five foot seven, five foot eight at a stretch, I was never going to play basketball. I was never going to play hockey at the highest level. Like I got when I was in uh, high school, we used to play tournaments. So you'd go around, and I played basketball in high school. I was captain of the team. I was one of, if not the star player for the team. And we'd go and play tournaments. And I actually got recruited at 14 years old, 15 years old, to go for a full ride scholarship to Notre Dame for basketball and soccer. So that was huge. And I still have the letterhead. I still have the form here. And um, that was something that was kind of my fallback. So listen, if, if I could have got a four-year education out of it, at a at a prestige school like Notre Dame it would have been incredible if if all else failed <clears throat> but again I took that punt at, at going with that select team and that kind of threw all that stuff on the back burner and I didn't even think about it and 
it's come back to bite me a little bit because I haven't got the education now. So um, it's kind of, uh, I took a risk and thankfully it worked out for me because school, unfortunately, I put on the back burner and never really revisited. Seems a, it seems a, a real common one, mate. And did you did, so did you have the, the dreams and desire to, what, what were the dreams and desire within football then early on? You mentioned obviously to play for, for Hearts. Was that it at that, that particular time? What was you thinking like, what's my, my sights? What's the real vision? What's the, what's the dream then? Just to, to play just to play at the highest level possible. And Hearts was a, that was a, that was a dream, but that was something that I was fortunate that I got that opportunity. So I can't just say, okay, I'm going to go and play for Hearts. That's my goal. My, my dream at the time was to play in the Premier League and to play for my country. Obviously never played in the Premier League, but I played for my country over 40 times. And with youth and all that, probably close to 70 odd times. So my dream was just to, just to make it, just to, not for the prestige, just to prove to myself that I was as good as anybody at the time in, like, especially in Canada. So to be in the top 10, 15 players in Canada for, for what, 12 years, it's, it's not a bad, a bad shout. Um, and then obviously getting, like I said, nearly 600 games, it shows that uh, the longevity I had and the, the desire I had to continue playing at the age I was after the things I'd been through. It just, I think it just proved to a lot of people that my mindset was different. I was wired up different than a lot of people. And I'm not sure how many times I played against Dean, but he'll tell <laughs> I'm, I'm not the nicest player to play against. I can be a bit of a pain. So um, to do that for as long as I did, it's, uh, it's something I take great pride in. I think I still could have gone a lot further. Um, but I have no regrets in how the career went. It's um, it's really admirable, and it's as I say, it's I mean, it's admirable <laughs> from my side of someone having a, a dream that that didn't have that grit and determination that you're, you you mentioned. Did did you lose that with them two early rejections at any point, or was it like that's fine? I'll go back and I'll I'll refocus. I'll make it another way. I'll I'll find another way. Or are you having doubts in them too early over to Scotland? Obviously, no no contact back, contact back. Um, it hurt. I can't lie. It, it hurt a lot, but at the fact that it happened at 13 and not at 18, I think that still gave me the fact that somebody was asking me to come out at 13. Somebody was asking me to come out at 14. I still had a long time remaining. So I knew that. And I still love what I was doing. It never broke me to stop wanting to play. Um, but if you flip the, the the script and if I was 18 years old and you know yourselves that making it somewhere, you have to try and get in the door early. Not many make it post like YTS age. If you don't make it there, you go non-league and then sometimes you climb back up. If you get rejected at that age, it's where do you start? Because then there's always question mark. Well, he's 18. Why hasn't he been here? Why hasn't he done this? Why hasn't he done that? So the fact that it happened at such a young age, it it kind of fueled the fire because I knew I had what a lot of people were after. And when I've been to the places, it's not like I've gone there and shot the bed. <laughs> like To be honest, I've gone there and I've done the job that they've asked me to do. I've scored goals. I've played well. So coming back, it just kind of fueled it. And I think after that, like my 
my local team, we ended up going on winning the provincial trophy. So we're the best team in the province. We were the best team in the, in Canada. So I knew I came back with the right mindset that I went to try and prove to people that it wasn't a flash in the pan thing. It wasn't that I was just going there for, for oh, just a ride to see what it was like. I went there knowing that I had a, a, an end goal. It didn't work out at the time, but I knew I had what it took to make it there. So coming back to Canada, I think it, it just, it ticked me off a bit. And I think a lot of people will, will vouch for it. I came back a little bit hungrier than I, than I did when I went. Brilliant. It's um, Dean, I think we'll be able to relate because it's almost acts as motivation for you to, uh, to turn around to, to, to say, to find another way, which is, again, is, is admirable through that. And then obviously you you start to progress then. So you're, you, you get the, the move at, at Tranmere and that starts to progress. And then obviously do things change then, Ian, is it like, I'm still heading for premier league. That's what I want to do. That's, that's what I want to, I want to go for. And then obviously you're making them decisions based on that. Um, well, I broke through at Tramia really young, so I had a lot to learn. And I knew that. And I was I was very slight. I I hadn't put on any bulk. I was I was I was a whippet. I was I was quick. I was what diminutive. I was one of those who gotten got in your face, but I was never like that when I first moved over there. I was just quick. And I was really skillful and I could finish. And I had to learn how to do the the crap side of the game. I had to learn how to tackle. I had to learn how to to tick people off, to be honest. Because that's that that was me. It was I'd just run around and I'd I was thankful when Prozone finally came into the game because it was proven that I was doing a lot more than a lot of people. Um but no, nah, I had it was a it was a learning curve for me because Tramir was a great club at the time, their championship when I joined. Um I never expected to be anywhere near the first team and then in end of my first season I made my debut at 16 so it was it was far beyond what I'd expected um the the end game never changed I wanted to play at the highest level um obviously a bit more real when you're in the when you're in the ladder and you know how how big a difference there is even from where Tramia were when I joined at lower end of the championship to the Premier League you know that it's a massive massive step and when you play against Premier League teams in cups you they're like I don't know if I can get there yet. I still need to learn. And obviously playing, what, 180-odd games for Tranmere, I got myself a move. Um, I, I got that move to Leicester, and I knew there was still a lot to learn and a lot to improve on. But that step was there. And moving to Leicester at the time, they were they were a rebuilding club from, from a couple of seasons out of the Premier League. And again... That was that was an incredible step up and playing with Dion Dublin and playing with uh, Danny Tiato and guys who made a career and played hundreds and hundreds of games in the Premier League was a, was an incredible thing for me. So I, I, I took it all on board. Um, I never bypassed and said that this is just going to be, OK, I'm moving to Leicester. I'm going to stay here for a couple of years and then I'm going to go up. But it was never that. It's moving to somewhere, making a home for myself, making a name for myself and then see where it takes me and. Obviously, it's it's gone up and down the whole my whole career. So I didn't quite get to the heights that I'd hoped. But like I said before, it's I never look back and think I should have done more. I hope I would have done more, but never think I should have with with how I played and where I played and 
the statistics that followed it because we know the world is about statistics now. So, uh, hey, it's that 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 time at Tramier was incredible. Loved it and learned so much about the game of a lot of good coaches and a lot of good players. But moving on to Leicester was another one. I had to learn a hell of a lot very quickly. Um, and I just I just loved every minute of it because stories don't start at the climax, do they? So you have to you have to somehow work your way up to where it's going to end. And I did it for a very bloody long time, and the body's feeling it now. <laughs> <laughs> we were obviously soft spot um, for Leicester. Liam's big Leicester fan. Obviously, Dean spent his his time at Leicester as well. Um, good period at Leicester for you, and the transition. You've obviously gone over into Liverpool and the transition down into the middle of the country and the time there. Was that, that a good experience? Loved it. Every second of it, apart from Stoke away on the last game of my last season. <laughs> like that was, we, we were a Carlo Nash pinky finger away from staying in the championship. And it was, it was hard. Um, that was the, see, I got relegated at Tranmere when I was in my second year, which was tough but I was a bit part player. So it, it was kind of like a kickstart to my career, trying to getting relegated because a lot of bigger earners left and um, moving to Leicester. So when I moved there, another one of my heroes signed me, Craig Levine. So he was a big center half for, for hearts, loved him when he was playing there and he signs me and they just sold David Connolly. So David Connolly went to Wigan and they brought me in and his words were, we're looking for a younger replacement. Obviously a lot, we've got to save money, cut costs and we've looking at younger players and I've liked you for a while. I liked you when I was coaching hearts. And so it was perfect for me. I'm like amazing eye opener. like a hero of mine's been watching me for a while. And then it kind of went on its head for a couple, couple months. I was on the bench and I'd start and then I go on the bench, I'd score a goal and then I'd be on the bench and, and I don't know what Levine, his mindset was, but he tried to, he changed a lot and he, he cut the budget in half and he got players from a certain, certain level. And then he's had to go and cut the, the lower leagues and brought in me and Matty Fryett and um, a lot of young players broke through. And yeah, so then Levine left and uh, Rob Kelly took over. It was just a new lease of life for me. Me and Matty Fryett were in the team every week and, we were buzzing off playing together and we created a great friendship on and off the field. And um, I think it went with our results and I'm not sure if Dean, Dean, were you down at Brighton at the time? No, I was down at Brighton. Yeah. At the time, yeah. We were fighting relegation and we're in the bottom three. And then me and Matty Fried break into the team together and we started banging goals and we, we played down at Brighton and, uh, uh, Hendo was in goal there and ended up playing with Wayne Henderson a couple of years later and he still kills me because I, I rounded him um, but that was just the, the mentality we had then and I loved it I loved every minute of the three years I was there until we got relegated and like player of the season one year and leading score three seasons and just a, a great club to be a part of and obviously <laughs> I left about eight months or 10 months too early because they got taken over and they started spending cash on the likes of Dean and uh, uh, Galley and they started bringing players in to, <laughs> to push for, 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 for promotions and that again. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a tough one because 
like I, I loved it there and family moved down, just had my baby, just got married and um, they ended up doing me a little bit on the, the paperwork and it was a, a tough one to take because like I said, I just loved every minute and I, I say I look back with no regrets and I don't, but I think that one of the biggest mistakes of my career was, was leaving Leicester. Um, not because of where they went with the, the finances. Like I still had a year and a half or two years left on my contract. Um, but with relegation, they they tried to do me a little bit on like the Dean will know himself. A lot of contracts have relegation clauses where you cut in half your wages. My contract didn't have that yet. The club had one signed by me that did. So my agent had one. I had one that said uh, you remain on your money, whereas the club had one that said 50% cut. And that's the one that they registered with the league. So it was a bit of an eye-opener for me and my agent. So we ended up just saying, listen, we want to stay. And is there any way we can remove that clause? Because I know they offered it to Gareth McCauley. The same time he was on the same contract as me. And he, he told me, I was good friends with him. He told me that they'd offered me to stay on the same money but he ended up moving on to Ipswich and they said to me when I mentioned it, said, Oh, I know you've offered another player. I'd love to stay. Oh, we haven't done that. We can't do that. I'm like, well, I know you have, <laughs> the guys told me. So, um, yeah, so that was just it. That was me. That was, I, I couldn't afford to at the time. Obviously I wasn't on massive money. I was on a new contract there, but again, it was, it wasn't substantial enough for me to be able to say, okay, well, I can afford to re revert back to, to what I was all when I first signed for the club, which is essentially what it was. And with buying a house and having a baby and paying for a wedding, it, it just, it wasn't viable at the time. And that's where the, the move to, to Barnsley popped up. I was walking around Disneyland in, in Orlando and getting phone calls every two minutes, which was, which was frustrating for my wife, but it was uh, something that had to be done because we, we had a lot of financial overheads, which unfortunately, kind of took precedent for the time and it was uh it was where it came from I'm not saying I didn't enjoy my time at Barnwell I'm not saying I <laughs> it's a hard one to say it's I didn't not enjoy my time at Barnsley there was aspects of the time there that I didn't like um but again I, I, I genuinely wish I'd, I'd I'd hung it out at Leicester if I if I was possible if it was possible to do so I wish I'd hung it out there because coming straight back up from from League One would have been incredible, and then obviously you see where they went from there. So it's a tough one to take watching, watching from afar. With with that um, decision you mentioned there, and I know Dean and um, uh, it's a a reflection that has happened, I think, quite often of looking back on that moment. Would you look back and say you sort of jumped into that decision quickly uh, at that particular time? Then, based on the financial. Um, uh, not financial struggles, but the financial strain that you felt like it's like, I've got no option other than to do this. And you look back and think maybe I should have just paused there a little or not. Um, I wish I could have. And I, that's honest. Um, when we moved there, we'd, we'd never had, like we, we bought our first house at Tramere before we left. And um, we found a new build up uh, just north of Leicester and Loughborough. We found a new build estate, which was beautiful. We loved it. And we, we forked every penny that we had saved up. So when I earned the new contract, it was like a, a weight off my shoulder. So we, 
we really the mortgage we were putting good money in and <clears throat> so we were we were stretching ourselves probably I'd say in the region of two thirds of my my contract was going into the house and the car and whatever so I wasn't at a point where I could start saving properly again it was you take a third of your contract and use that for okay we're going on holiday this year we're going here we're gonna and your your day to days and then for it to end up coming back on you and your wages cut in half. So you're essentially, you're using over a hundred percent of your, your wages. And it's like, well, I can't do that. <laughs> like I physically couldn't do it. My wife, my wife was working part-time because she, she closed up her, her business in, in Tranmere, a hairdressing business to come move with us. And she, she hadn't hit the ground. So she, she'd started a part-time job where she worked two, three days a week and, Although it was decent money for what it was, it wasn't enough to to cover the overhead. So, like in in all honesty, just could not afford it. And I genuinely wish I could have because if there was any way I could have stretched my means to be able to even just scrape by for a year, I think I'd have done it. Just because, like I, like the the Leicester fans have always been amazing with me, and I've always given them something to cheer for. At the time, it was I was balls to the wall type of player and especially with them that's where I really hit the ground and I really started making a proper name for myself and they were amazing and I'd have done anything to to stay at the the walkers not the king power I'll keep saying that it's not king power to me it's the the walker state to stay at the walker stadium I'd have, I'd have done anything at the time and it just honestly and I say this so many times to people I, I wish I could have I just physically couldn't have I, I did, I've, not, I've not come from a family that's wealthy. I've not come from somebody who, who I have a backing of, who can, like, if I get into trouble financially, that they can bail me out. And I'm, I'm, I've never had that. So whatever I've been able to spend and be able to use, it's been off my own back, off my career. So it's, um, it's something, it's a tough one because I, I, I genuinely, I, I think apart from some of the later days of my career, I've not enjoyed my football as much and I've not just loved going into training as much as I did when I was there. It's, um, Lewis, it's, it's, a, it's a great yeah, Thanks it's for so, so interesting you say that because I had a similar experience at, at, at Leicester in terms of leaving, not in terms of the situation. But I think that's a harsh reality of football sometimes that doesn't get portrayed, that doesn't get seen, mm-hmm. that you... It's almost like footballers are not supposed to put their families first and not supposed to make a decision, a life decision. It, it should be for um, the football, really. Um, so it, it's really an issue. And I had the, I left the year that they won the Premier League, obviously, which was which was difficult. I went on loan to, to Sheffield United. So I live with that as well. Like you're living with the, the feeling and potentially... I don't like to use the word regret, but you're saying there, well, if I'd stayed another year, then I could have continued at the club and, and progressed my career through. And I did the same, you know, I left because of that fear of, well, I need to go and play football. I can't just sit here and not play. That's not my, my mentality and it's not going to help my career as well. And and drop down two levels from, from, from the Premier League and, you know, regret that decision. In hindsight, it's, you know, is a wonderful thing and you'd love to go back and, and change that. And, not going to lie to you, mate. I lived with that a long time for a long time, and it 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 bent me up inside really because you you see everyone else doing so well, but 
you you have to look back and think what you actually you did achieve at your time at Leicester. And look, yeah. Liam's a, a massive Leicester fan. And he speaks really highly of you. So you had a huge effect on on, on the club there, which is brilliant. And I think just it's just good to hear players talk that they make decisions for their families as well. Because like you say, you have to think of your family when you're making a career decision. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave this football club. But I've got a family. I've got a kid. I've got to support them. I've been promised something. That's not, that's been trying to take away from me. I've got to, I've got to change my, my destiny or change my, my situation really. So yeah, they're, they're, they're the message that needs to be get out that the players are human and there's different reasons why decisions are made. I think that's really important. That's it. And you think about it and everyone's always said, you know, everything has a, like a domino effect or chain reaction. So you do one thing in life, everything after it changes, if you didn't do that one thing. So I've always looked back and I've always blamed myself for it because if I hadn't left Leicester, I don't fracture my skull. That's, but, but that, like, but that's is, <laughs> I totally get, but this is where, this is where I've been going through this, this period for like three or four years with the same. But all you do in life, and you would have done the same, and everyone does, you make a decision at the time because you think that's the best decision. <laughs> no one ever makes a decision going, oh, this is gonna, this is not going to work out well for me. This is really not going to work. But yeah. I'll go with the decision anyway because for whatever reason. You make a decision at the time. You weigh everything up. You make the decision because you think it's the right decision. And I think that's, as long as you do that, I think you can live with that. But I understand what yeah, you're saying and- because I've, I've been through that. Oh, if I hadn't made that decision, I wouldn't have made that decision. If I hadn't made that decision, yeah. this wouldn't have happened. If I hadn't have done that, exactly. that wouldn't have happened. Oh, I've been so much easier if I just sat there and done nothing. But like you as well, it's not your personality. It's not your yeah, personality. That, like that's it. Like I, I actually tried, and I've I've said this a couple of times on podcasts and that. I actually tried without being ridiculously greedy. I tried to price myself out of a move. Hmm. Like I, I try. <laughs> So I, I weighed up the options and when, when the whole Barnsley negotiations were going through, like it, it's mad because the, the January that we got relegated from the championship, Mandarich tried to sell me. So behind Ollie's back, so Ian Holloway was in charge, behind Ollie's back he tried to sell me and he was selling me for 450 grand. And Ollie was fuming, like spitting feathers, like, every, like he was going mental. And he told me, he goes, if you want to go, go. And I said, no, well, I told you I'm staying till the end of the season. We're going to fight relegation and we'll, we'll see how it goes. So he goes back, tells Mandridge to do one, says, Hume, you staying, you're not getting your way, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So then we get relegated and they end up selling me for three times as much. So it kind of, it kind of came back to help the club out. But like I said, I tried to kind of price myself out of moving. So I was asking for ridiculous amounts and like they, they toed and froed with uh, transfer fees and all that. And they started out with like 180 grand and that ended up with 1.2 million. Like how that worked out, I don't know, but walking around with my, on the phone to my agent through, like I said, through Disneyland, I was, I was like back and forth and I said, well, listen, I don't really want to leave. I said, I'm on X amount. They've just cut it in half. I said, so ask for here. Said so, I ended up going to Barnsley on more money than I was on at Leicester, and probably a couple grand more a week. So signed a three-year contract there, and with uh, signing on fees and everything, and it was the most money the club had paid, and I was the highest earner and everything. And 
it was it kind of helped cushion my decision. So it wasn't that I was in a hurry to leave, but they gave me that that contract that kind of okay, well, I don't want to go, but I'm going for this. So that's we're gonna get the house sorted. We're gonna have the girls will be sorted for for a couple of years. We'll we'll save up the money. We'll get this. We'll get that. And so kind of it kind of cushioned the blow. And lo and behold, what 14 games in, I end up going and in my head. Well, no pun intended. In my head, it kind of uh, hampered my career massively because um, I still get questioned now. That like that was. Oh, you know, that was what 2010, so that was what 11 years ago. Um, well, no, it was 2008, so it was 13 years ago, coming up 13 years. Where I'm still getting questioned, how's your head? Played 350 games since then, 400 games since then. My head's fine, man. Like, it's like signing for clubs, and people still question about it. And it's uh, it's it's things that don't like fire themselves through my head all the time, and my head just. I think, well, if I didn't do this, that doesn't happen. But if that doesn't happen, then I don't get that money to pay for this. And the family's not as comfortable as it is. And But if I don't do that, I'd, would I fracture my skull? If I don't do that, would I would have gone higher? And that's the, the way my, my head worked for a long time. And I think it's only now that I've stopped playing. I've had other things sort of going through my head and wondering why I'm still not playing. Like I'm 37, yeah, but. I've been two years out of the game and I should have still, I should have played on. And so now all that stuff's in the back burner. I don't think about it anymore. I don't, I don't really regret or have any thoughts about my, my thought process back then, because at the end of the day, I continue playing. I continue going and doing what I'd, I'd always wanted to do. So that's, I think that's where it reverted me back to where I was when I was 13 years old is I want to play the game and I wanted to play the game because I love the game. Nothing else. I wasn't in it for money. I, obviously you want to make a big living and a good living for your family, but I wasn't in the game for money. I wasn't in the game to drive around in a Rolls Royce and live in a $20 million house. I, that wasn't my plan when I was a kid. My plan was to just make a, a living out of the game and to just bring happiness to my family and to, to, to have them to be proud of what I did in my career. So, it's only up until I stopped playing where my head started thinking in that way. And it's, uh, hey, people forget that, like you said, Dean, that people forget that footballers are human. We're at the end of the day, we have to make sure that our family comes first. And regardless the, the financial outlay and the, the prestige of doing this, if you do that and you're unhappy, then what's the point if you could do this and you're happy as happy as Larry. So, I think that's where people forget that we are human and we, we do, we do still have to make a wage. We still have to look after and provide for our family, but you can't do it at the, the expense of being unhappy. It's a, a, a personally just to appreciate the, um, I appreciate the honesty and there's a, there's so much that, um, that overlaps and we've spoke with, um, a variety of people that obviously all have different experiences, but I know um, there's a lot that you say that overlaps with what Dean has, um, has shared um, many times with different decisions that looking back, you may change or you may want to change. I think this all, it always fascinates me, um, Ian, like you're in that decision there with that move, 
are you are you able to is it someone you're able to go to like uh, with advice is do you feel like the agent at the time is is doing the best for you it's always like a, a fascination where you just think are they are they doing doing right for you at that time are you um are you okay with them decisions do you look back and think oh, i mean we often say like dean one conversation with the right person would have made that yeah. a lot easier um how do you how do you look back at that ian that that obviously um at the time my agent my agent was amazing i'd had my agent since i was 15 he or since well since i was 16 so just before i signed my first pro contract i had my agent um but he wasn't a part of a big agency so he had a handful of people um so everything that happened with me then was personal he was he was a father figure for me and we were very, very close. It wasn't until later in my career where I felt like he wasn't pushing the boat out for me. So like when I was at the top, when I was out of contract for the first time in my career, when I was at Preston, like was, was his, his, what's the word? The clubs that he could reach out to, the countries he could reach out to, was that something that was going to benefit me. And it was, it was limited to what he was doing then. Um, but when, like with the move, with my head, with everything like that, from, from Tranmere to Leicester, Leicester to Barnsley, even Leicester to, or Barnsley to Preston, he, he was always there for me. Um, and I just think the, the problem is, and it's highlighted so much more now, is even as far as, as much as people don't think mental health in footballers is as relevant as it is to a lot of people. Unfortunately, that's the, the way people, it's only just been highlighted over the last couple of years. So you think about it back then, 2008, it was a non-entity. Nobody paid attention. Nobody cared. It wasn't possible. These guys are millionaires. These guys do this. They, they don't realize that. And going back to what we just said, they don't realize that we're human beings. We have families. We have feelings like everybody else. Just because we're, we're very fortunate. Like every, every fan says, oh, you guys, all you do is kick a ball around. You're very fortunate to do. We are, and we know that. But it doesn't stop the fact that we feel the same as every other human being. If, you, if, if average Joe from working in Asda had worked there for 10, 15 years and got sacked, how would he feel? Would he be buzzing? No, he'd be heartbroken. So we're the same. We've done this since we we're kids. We, we don't, we, okay, we get the prestige of a move. We, we've, somebody's willing to pay a lot of money to bring us in. But when you get knocked back, it's the same thing. We're the same people. We're still human. We still have feelings. We're not heartless. And we're fortunate we make good money. But that also comes with higher expectation, unfortunately. Higher expectation of how you should be living, what your house should be like, what your car should be like what your clothes should be like. Unfortunately, that it's all part and parcel. People, like, listen, I'm when I was at Leicester, I was spending stupid money on clothes. Like, now I'm happy to just go down to M&S and just buy whatever, or H&M, and I don't care. I, I really don't care now. And I've, It's brought a lot of things back to perspective, especially since I've stopped playing. Not because I haven't got money. I've, I've got money saved. It's not like, but I don't care what I look like. As long as it looks good and I feel good in it, I don't care. 
my car. I've, I've gone for a Hyundai instead of a Mercedes. I don't care. It's comfortable. I've got a seven seater. I've got two kids, two dogs. I'm happy. Like it's, it's brought a lot of things in perspective since I've stopped playing. But when I was playing this, this mental health side of things, it was, it was a big thing. Cause you were always, unfortunately it's in our nature. We're, we're, we're highly competitive regardless what it is. You go for a game of golf. You still want to beat your mate. You go and buy a car. You unfortunately still want it to be as nice as his. It's, it's, it's unfortunately the way it is. And, I think back then we didn't think about it as much. So I didn't need a shoulder to cry and I didn't need somebody to an ear to bend to tell them how I was feeling. I was just happy I had somebody to speak to. Unfortunately, I didn't speak to them in the right way. I didn't speak to them about the things that were bothering me inside. It was just like, oh, well, listen, I can't afford to do this. I'm, I'm going to have to go. So he did what he had to do and what I asked him to do. But... I never opened up to my wife. I never, and that's the same now. I'm still, I'm still a closed book. I don't like, I don't like throwing around my feelings. I've, it's changed a bit with having the kids. And even now I still don't like showing them. I'm still the hard nose that they, they know and love, but I don't open up as much as I possibly should do. And even more so when I was playing, when I was playing, I was, I had a goal. I had, when I'm training, when I'm playing, my, my mindset's the same and it never changes. But I'd go home and I'd think about, I'd overthink things. And without having somebody to speak to, especially back then, mental health, like I said, it was a non-entity. Nobody really paid attention to it because we were so privileged to do what we did and it didn't matter, I guess. Such such an, uh, an honest share. And again, mate, huge, just huge respect. I have a huge respect for anyone, regardless of, of, of what they've achieved. And I think when you, you know, you sort of, dampened down the effects of you're only human but I think it's heightened in the profession and the levels that you got to so it's heightened the highs are high of course and higher than anything but the lows are low and lower than anything as as well in regards to that but you you sort of you mentioned on the was it there's a facet again it comes back to the to, to something that seems like a common theme of you you go through a period of of being yourself as acting as yourself as the the driven person and then is there a point where you you think like I've got to do things differently to try and fit in like you mentioned like and I know Dean was laughing when you were mentioning about the the change in buying this and and doing that which was against how he had always been and how he'd wanted to be was was there a point where you felt like that where you're doing something that's against who you are um in regards to to the to the external and the materialistic things perhaps? Um, I think the, the, the biggest time that I, I changed as far as materialistic things was Leicester. Cause I've gone from Tranmere and being a, I just got my license um, a year and year and a half earlier and driving a Vauxhall Astra bought it cash off Jason Price, my old teammate. And I love the car used to boot it everywhere. Like I'd, I, I know that it's max speed was 122 mile an hour. I, I got up to from like one of those. I used to boot it. I went from Tranmere to Edinburgh door to door in just three hours, like <laughs> absolutely booted. How I never got a ticket and got my license taken off me is beyond me. But then I drive into drive into Leicester to sign for the club. My first, sorry, I just signed for the club. My first day I drove in and I pulled up next to a Merc and a Range Rover and a Bentley. And I'm like, 
parked right at the back of the, the car park and walked down the hill. Took me five minutes to walk to the training center, I'm like to the change rooms. And I'm like, yeah, I can't deal with this. Went to my, went back home with my wife and because I was, I was actually staying in the hotel for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, actually. And the first day I gone back and called my wife and said, I need a new car. She's like, what do you mean you need a new car? I said, I need a new car. I can't drive that. Like I've, I've got a worse off car than the chef and the, the, the cleaning ladies and the, the laundry ladies have all, all, they've all got like Vauxhalls and I'm like, my car's in worse shape than theirs. She was like, but you can't. I said, Chris, I need a new car. Like, so I ended up going and getting a Merc. So I trade in, get a Merc. And it's like, felt great. Like it, it did feel great and it didn't stretch me beyond my, stretch me by my means. But that was the first time where I thought, and I actually took it to heart. Like I need a new car. I can't, I'm, I'm trying to be this, this player and this, this, they just spent what, 300 or 750 grand on me. I'm like, I can't be driving up in a car I bought for 6,000 cash. Like it's, it's one of those. And then that's where it, it kind of spiraled a little bit and living in a, living in a hotel and we had a lad on loan from, from Arsenal who'd never played in the first team. I think he played one Carlin cup game and this guy's bowling in and, uh, brand new Merc and never played a premier or a professional game apart from a couple Carlin cup games. And I end up, I have 200 games into my career and I'm driving around and I'm like, this isn't right. <clears throat> so then it becomes a little bit more materialistic. And I think that's the first time I actually changed who I was. Like I lived in a, an ex council house in, in Tranmere, sold it to my, my, my sister-in-law and her, her husband and, that was me. I drove in a Vauxhall and an Astra I had a ex council house. I didn't care what I had. I just had a baby. So it was buying stuff for her and doing all the things that needed to be done. And then it became where it was a different level. Went to Dion Dublin there and Gareth Williams there and Danny Tiato and Jason Wilcox. And you got these guys and I'm like, Rab Douglas guys have won trophies all over the or all over Britain. I'm like, I need to, something needs to change. First thing was, I need a new car. Next thing was, okay, I need to start. It's when Avisu came out and it's when Louis Vuitton came out and all that. And I was like, okay, I got to get some Louis stuff. I got to get some Avisu jeans. I got, I got to do whatever it is to try and fit in. And for me, and I'm not materialistic like that. And I, 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 my characteristics changed so quickly. And I think that's the first time, and I think it's probably the only time in my career, although I loved every second of being there, it had it made me change really quick and try to fit in rather than just being who I was. And I think that's the, it's not so much the peer pressure, but it's the, the pressure of trying to fit in and not be out of, out of your, your comfort. It's, it's a weird one. And I hate, I hated the fact that I did it, but at that time it needed to be done because I just felt so out of my, my comfort zone. Did you ever question your ability during that as well? Sorry, Dean. No, no, no go on, Luke. No, no I, I was going to say that. No. no, because on the field, on the field, I never changed. Like I always wear colored boots. I, well, that, that was one of the things that went a little bit pear-shaped with Levine was I always, when I signed, I was a white boots or like navy blue or yellow or whatever was out with Nike because I was with Nike at the time. So they would send me a couple pairs of vapors and I'd wear whatever they gave me. And then we had one bad game. I'm trying to think. 
I normally remember the name of like the team we're playing and all that. We had one bad game. I, th- I actually think it was a reserve game. We played against somebody down at Stevenage. Can't remember who it was. And we played at Stevenage in a reserve league. I don't know if it was Arsenal or something like that. And came back and the team had a nightmare. We got battered. And I come back and went out for training the next day and going to the boot room. My boots aren't there. I'm thinking, the hell's going on here? So I asked my boot boy, like, Where, where's my boots? He goes, I have no idea. Did you bring them back from the game? I said, yeah, they were in the skip. He goes, I have no idea then. So I end up going and asking the coach. I said, oh, go and see the, go and see the gaffer. Went in, he chucked my boots out. No colored boots. I don't like colored boots. You think you're flashy and then you go and perform like that. But it was like I was getting isolated. Like it was just me. Like the whole team had a nightmare. We got beat like three or four nil. Said this it wasn't just me. I'm a bloody striker. I said, I didn't concede the goals. The whole team did. And my boots are gone. So I ended up wearing a, an old pair of like Nike Tiempos or something that I'd brought in that were just a part of my, my just my leftovers kind of. And I uh, ended up wearing them until I got new boots sent out and, something like five, 600 pairs, uh, 600 pound pair, pairs of boots. Like, I'm like, bloody hell's going on here? Like, just tell me and I'll stop wearing them. <laughs> Don't chuck them out. So, yeah, that was, that was it. That was me. Like, in training, I was the same thing. Like, as soon as I cross that white line, as soon as I get through the, the doors of the training ground, like it's gym in the morning, train, gym afternoon, or table tennis or whatever, I was always doing something. But uh, off the field, it was a different story. That's when it really changed. And I kind of, I didn't spend beyond my means. I didn't spend myself to put myself into debt or anything like that. But there was an added pressure to fit in and just to make sure I looked as good, if not tried to be better than others. And okay, I'll never look better than others because I'm I'm not no oil painting. But it's one of those, it's uh, on the clothing side of things and the car side of things, I try to, try to keep up. It's... Um... I'm smiling all the way through that because I can relate to it so much because I was I was so similar to that. You know, before I went to so-called bigger clubs, I was never like that at all. I was as similar as you, just very comfortable in my life, happy with who I was, didn't look into materialistic things, didn't need it, didn't want it. And similar to yourself as well, if I trained, confident. If I played, confident, you know, within myself, confident within my ability. But off the pitch, I'm the same as you. I felt as I needed that to be similar, to be accepted, to be accepted within the group. I wasn't confident enough within myself to be like, I'll just be myself. I'm quite happy with who I am. I don't care. I don't need to be like you. I don't need to have this car. I don't need to dress like you. But it does just creep on. It's like a second nature. You almost like, it's, it's the people you surround yourself with. You know, well, they're doing that. I'll do it as well. Damon, there must be something right in that. And it's... It's really, it's really interesting. It comes infectious on you and it rubs off on you. And you, before you know it, you, you, you're even buying things. You're thinking, I remember buying things. And I remember buying a car once, a Range Rover, and thinking, why am I buying this? I don't even want this car. Like, there's nothing into it. I, it's, it's costing me a fortune. I don't really want it, but I'm going in so I can just feel comfortable in an environment that I love playing football, but I'm feeling comfortable in an environment that's not football, really. It's like being back at school. It's fitting in at school so you don't stand out and everyone accepts you and you find your role within the group. 
And I used to done it on many things, many, many things. Well, I remember buying you a You think watch. the competition on a night out? Yeah, oh, mate. That's, that, that, was, that, that, was the heart, that was the heartbreaker. Oh. That was the heartbreaker for me because, I, listen, I'm, I'm short. I'm not, I'm not skinny. So it's like I have to buy, like, kiddie-sized leg pants and a, a wider waist. And it's like, the hell's going on here? And I'm trying to compete, and you're going out with the likes of, like, Richard Stearman and that, who's a pretty boy who always wants to look good. And he's a great guy, and... But you're going out with these guys and you're trying to go for a drink and you're like, do I look as good as like, do I, do I suit this? Where they're, they're all out in there. Remember the white tip hair and all that yeah, rubbish. Yeah. Like I've always been a skinner. So it's a, it's one of those, like I'm going out and I'm thinking, okay, he's got, these guys are spending so much time on their hair and their clothes. And I'm like, I don't care, but I don't want to look like a scrub. Yeah. So I'm like, how, how do I compete? What, what do I do? Like, and it's, it's, it's things you don't, realize means so much but they end up doing because the competition side of things and you're not trying to spend more than them and you're not like oh well listen you're first year pro i'm on a lot more money and you know what i'm gonna go buy a gucci shirt and like all that i'm gonna come up not like that but you just it's, it's it's mad that you think back and you think i spent like all this money like i bought a, a couple of years ago i was at preston actually i was at barnsley bought a d squared shirt and it looks smart wore it once still got it my cover wore it once cost me like 280 quid <laughs> like i've wore it once and i refuse to throw it out because i wore it once and i know how much it costs i'm like nah, that that's that's staying there hung up if i fit it one more time i'm, I'm buzzing so i'm i need to get on this whole health trip now and get myself back into shape to what i was 10 years ago and see if i can wear it <laughs> It's it's so interesting because, you, like you're saying, you're so you're so confident, so sure of yourself. Not like I mean, footballers, not yourself. Like all of us on the pitch, like it's, it's second nature. I'm comfortable in this environment, playing in front of thousands of people, being judged, being questioned about what you're doing. You just feel good. I feel comfortable. I can do this. You go into a small group of an addressing room. There's 20 people, and you're like. Oh no! I need to fit in here. I feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> I need to do something different. Here. This is—I can't be myself in here. No one's going to accept me for being me here. And I used to be like that with drinks. So I was like, no, I wasn't a big, big drinker. I turned into a big drinker because you go into a few cultures that are big drinkers. You're like, I'm being the one that misses out here. So I need to feel comfortable in this <laughs> this environment. I'm going to drink more than anyone else. And then you end up being the idiot. And then it just—you—you you end up becoming that person off the pitch you, you never imagined you would be like it, yeah. it's, it's so crazy and like you say now Ian, you come away and you just finish the game you can back you're almost like I finish the game right I can take the costume off now. I can take the mask off I can just be myself again now and it's almost mm -hmm. like a, I've only just realized that myself like I'm so like I'm I'm the person I want to be now but for a long time I wasn't it's so crazy just because yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm not around them people anymore or because I understand myself better or I've matured or whatever it is. It's almost like you take that disguise off and go, right, I can be me now. Big sigh of relief. Oh, relax. I can just be me again without judgment, without questions. These are the yeah. bits that people don't see, but they, they play a major part in your career. And I think that's where people fall, or players fall apart. You think, he's an unbelievable player. Why is he not performing? Why is he not doing this? It's maybe them smaller details that people don't see. Can't fit in within the group. He's not accepted within the group, um, and things like that. They make they play a major role in your performance. They really, really do. And 
I think if you're not aware you think of that about as a player, it, you, or you're not willing you back, to do it, it can affect you. Yeah, like it's 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 things like that, and people don't understand how much it's old peer pressure, and it's not that people are coming out to you and saying, "Oh, you have to do this," but the pressure that's put onto them, onto yourself from teammates. You think about it. The amount of players you've played with and the amount of groups you've been a part of and individually these guys, you know what they're like and you know, oh, great lad, like incredible lad and very down to earth and all that. And then you hear people chirping up on from the outside and saying, he's, he's a proper bad and like he's a bad egg. He absolute drinks like a fish. Like he's this, he parties too much. He's, but you're like, I know him personally. Mm-hmm. He's not like that. But because they get into this scenario where they're in a, so if, for instance, you you go out with your missus, you're sound, you bump into people, you're this, you're the one person that you aim to be. That's who you are, is that person you are when you go out with your wife, you go out with your old school friends, you go out with whatever, your parents, you're that person. All of a sudden, it's Jekyll and Hyde. So you go out with the lads and you bump into people and you might have, 10 drinks more in you you're louder than life and you're in yeah. your face and you're doing the wrong things but that's not you but that's yeah. who the public perceives you as so all of a sudden you're tainted with that brush you're that guy so that fan who's seen you out and you were absolutely tanked they go back to their friends and oh, i've seen hume out he absolutely off his face like He's, 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 that's what he does. I, every time I see him, he's like that. Yeah, but you see me once a month or once every six months. You don't see me every night when I go out with my wife or my friend, my close friends or whatever. But because that's the perception of you, you're a party animal. You're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. It's a, it's a crazy one. And I, I, I like to, to think that now, like you said, once, once you step away from it, you're more often, okay, you might have that mad moment where you bump into a group of the old lads and you go for a night. That's fine, that whatever. But the now you're, you're in your comfort zone. You're in the people that you know and trust. And you trust with everyday portions of your life. And you're now that person who you are and who you, you always thought you were going to be. Okay, you had mad moments. You had bits where you overspent, where you overdrank, where you overpartied, where you did that, spent ridiculous money going on a holiday. When now... I'm seriously, I'm a budget buyer for holidays. Like I was speaking to one of my old teammates and I think he played with him. I won't name names, but he, he goes on holiday with his missus and we were talking about it the other, the other year. And he's saying he's probably spent close to a quarter million on holidays. I'm like, mate, are you mental? Like, what do you, what is so much more expensive about a holiday with your wife and your kids? What is so much more prestigious about just going away? Like having to go to Dubai, having to go to the five-star hotels for two weeks and you're spending 15, 20 grand on a week holiday. Like, what are you doing? Like, like seriously, I'm looking back at it. I said, you could have bought a house for me. Yeah. <laughs> and a quarter of a million on holidays, if not more, he said. I'm like, you're off your rocker. Like, like I, it's, I can't perceive spending that amount. I can't. I've, I've probably been on... 10, 15, 20 holidays with my wife and my kids. And if I've spent more than say 10 grand, 15 grand, I'm amazed. I, I'm genuinely, I just need to be in the right place with the right people. Yeah. Rent a villa for a week. 
that's me. Like that, get out. Don't need to be in a five star. Don't cook for myself. Throw it on the barbecue. Throw it in the oven. Like throw it. On. I, I don't need all that. But you have these people who do, and it's it just baffles. It seriously baffles me. And you think back, and if I'd have saved this, if I'd have saved that, if I didn't get like you said, I did the same thing when I signed for Barnsley. I bought a Range Rover, and it was perfect because I was driving over the tops. Because I lived in Manchester, I was driving over the tops every day. It's twenty six mile door to door. And because we got loads of snow in where I was living in uh, Saddleworth, got loads of snow, Range Rover, need a four-wheeler or four-wheel drive. Ended up, after a year, ended up moving to Preston. <laughs> that, that drive was either anywhere between 40 minutes and two hours. So I was literally putting in 400 quid a week in petrol. I'm like, this is insane. Like, what am I doing? So I got rid of the... Got rid of the range, bought a, a Merc. I'm like, it's a lot easier. But you think back and there's so many things and so many things you've bought and things you've done and you look back and you're thinking, why did I change? Like, why? And you, you, you don't, you can't find answers for why you did it because it was just the way you had to be. Mm. And now you look back and it makes it even harder to look back and you're thinking, <sighs> like... Why didn't I just liven up? Why didn't I just waken up a little bit earlier? Would it would I have been a different player? Would it have affected me differently on the field? And there's so many things that just go through your head constantly. And even though you've tried to iron them out after you finish playing, now you're talking about I'm talking about it now. I'm looking back and thinking, what the hell was I doing? Like why? And why did I change who I was? Even though it was the social aspect and the social side of it that you needed to to alter it just you look back and think bloody hell what was i doing i could have could have bought a different car could have could have had 15 20 grand saved up for my kids extra and you're just thinking it's things like that and it just you've got my head going now because i'm thinking back (laughs) what was i doing was there ever a point i guess a question for the for the both of you was there ever and, and i think this is obviously where change can be created was there ever a point where anyone i guess two questions whether you listen or not at that given time is obviously the second part of that where anyone pulls you and just says look hang on a minute you know what's going on i can see this is happening i can see you you, you're spending unnecessary money um is there any time a coach or anyone pulls you and just has a serious conversation you know someone that you've got that respect for um in that situation is the first question. And then the second question is obviously what, what's your response if they did? Is it like, yeah, 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 yeah. Which we've heard a fair bit, which I can relate to. I'm not listening to you sort of thing. But was there, was there anyone on particular that, that pulls you at that given time? Um, for me, I, I never went that crazy. I, mm. I think about it now and what I could have saved up and stuff like that it seems like a lot, but I never went crazy to an amount where it was visible that I was mm. going over top. Um, my, my missus would have clipped me around the ear if I'd have gone and spent like to an extent where it put us in trouble and it went over the top. Um, I've seen it. I've seen a lot of people who do it. Um, but for me, I, I was very, I didn't make enough. I, I made good money, but I never made enough to be able to go and throw it at stupid amounts. Okay, the car, the Range Rover, okay. But that was needed at the time. I thought it was. 
I didn't think my career at Barnsley was going to finish so quickly. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I fortunately never got myself into a position where it was, listen, Yumi, what are you doing? Like, reel it in a bit. Um, so no, I didn't. I, I'll answer the first question and thankfully didn't have to do the second question. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Um... It is, it is a really interesting one. I just had a, a, a thought here, and I don't know whether this is completely out you're out of the uh, off the mark, if you like, but you have obviously an incredible team spirit, supposedly, while playing. Is it very individual away from that? Is it very individual, or is there close-knit groups? Is there, like, break-off groups within that? The reason I say that is, like, if three or four of you are all in that boat and one person has the courage, I guess, just to turn around and go, look, I'm struggling here, boys. Do two of, two of them are able to help? But during your careers, obviously playing for many different clubs with many different experiences, does, does, that, or does that team bond spirit happen enough away from the, from the pitch, off the pitch? Um, I think it's individualized depending on the club you're at um i think with with tramia i came through with a lot of players who i came through the youth system with so they either came through just before me or just after me we were a very young team so we had a very good team spirit we games of golf a couple times a week or once a week and then games of tennis randomly nights out where it was a very very tight squad moved to leicester very similar very young team because levine was changing it um, so he was bringing in a lot of younger players so we could all relate um, to obviously similar age groups. Like I think apart from like Dion Dublin and Wilcox and um, Teato, the squad was average age was like 25 and below. Um, so we were very similar again, games of golf nights out. It was, it was one of those go-kart and all that. So we, we kind of related um, obviously had guys on different levels of pay um, so the fact that we were all similar ages, it wasn't as bad as like somebody flashing the money to prove to somebody that they earn more, but we all were in that era of Burberry and you had to go and buy something. It, so we, we all kind of related to each other. Um, so it was very tight knit groups. Those first two clubs I was at, um, moving to Barnsley was different. Um, guys living in Sheffield, Leeds, um, down in Nottingham, Derby. So we, Manchester, we were very, we were close when we were there, but outside of playing, it wasn't any sort of closeness as a like team spirit. It was, it was a strange one. Um, everyone was finishing training and going home. Mm. Whereas like I only, I knew I only lived 40 minutes away, 35 minutes away. So I'd finished training a couple of us, the ones who were local, go to the gym or we had a JJB membership. So we'd go to the, the gym down there and go to the pool. Um, a lot of the guys finished training, jumped in the car and raced home because they knew if they got stuck on the M1 at two o'clock, they were knackered for two hours. So it was, you had guys trying to get away really quickly. Um, Preston was a very tight knit group. Um, great group of guys like I, I think apart from Leicester, it was probably the most enjoyable time of my career. Um, so but yeah, I think, sorry, go on. Sorry, Ian. How was, how was the um, support, obviously, with your horrific injury, with that being there with you? You have, don't feel 
obviously the huge team spirit was the support there through that process from the from the club from fellow players etc was that did that align with that when when you're going through um, obviously that horrific period strange enough it it kind of obviously got better um because the sympathy votes there and obviously they are my boys regardless um okay i don't see them outside of training whatever but they know i'd die for them on the field and I'd expect the same from them. And so it did, like a, quite a few of them came to visit me in hospital and all that. And But I, I also got as equal amount of support from players I played with over the last seven years prior, eight years prior. So you always have that bond and Dean will tell you the same thing for the most part. You obviously have a few that you think and you look back and think, oh, thankfully I only played with him for a year or like certain people. And then it's, realistic there's there are players through um, my career where i look back and think what a tool <laughs> i played with them but thankfully i wasn't there for long with them um but for the most part you do have that bond whether you bond with them off the field you you bump into them in a club or a bar and it's like you'd never been away and it, it is the way it is because you put your your heart and soul and life into playing with them because as soon as you cross that line you know they're there for you, you're there for them. So you have no problem reciprocating that feeling to them. Um, so when, when obviously my head happened, it was, I had a, the biggest family. And it, it, because football becomes irrelevant and whatever, it's, it's who I am and they know who I am and they know the type of person I was and am, well, hopefully I'm still. Um, but they... That, that thankfully didn't vary from where I was. It wasn't different with the different groups because great groups of lads wherever I played. But even though Barnsley, okay, I don't think it was as tight-knit a squad, they were still there for me. And every every player that I played with prior and even players I hadn't played with but played against reached out because they know what I'm like. They know, thankfully, that's the good thing about for the majority of the football family is they, they know that people, they're sacrificing the same thing you are. So they know that provided you're not the ultimate douche, you're, you're going to have that respect from your, your opponents and you're going to have that respect from teammates. And thankfully, that's the one positive thing or one of the positive things about the football family is there's a, there's a mutual respect because you've sacrificed the same thing they have and they, they know, especially certain people who who've probably been through harder things like like myself thankfully i had the respect of everybody unfortunately i went through what i went through but you have the respect and you have maybe a little bit more respect because especially fighting back from it i think it helped it helped kind of cushion the blow on coming back and question marks around it all but everyone looking from the outside looked at me and thought okay, when they played against me prior, they're thinking, okay, that guy's a pest. He's a warrior. He's one of them. But after that, I think it kind of heightened it a little bit. And I think the football family was incredible to me from all aspects. Guys I'd not played with, guys I'd played against, clubs and fans. Like I had the club brought in sheets that were were signed and sent into the club, like the big uh, post-it, the big, you know, the big mm. sheets you use. I brain fart right now. Um, on the flip charts, on the 
yeah, the flip yeah, charts. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's the word I couldn't think of. <laughs> um, yeah, about honestly, about 20, 20 pages filled in with fans and not just from Barnsley, from Preston, from Plymouth, from Portsmouth, from Coventry, from from rivals of teams that I've had proper battles with. Like playing for Leicester for three years and our biggest rival at the time was was Cov, the M69 Derby. As much as Forest were Derby and Derby were were a Derby, it was Coventry were the biggest Derby because it was M69. We had proper battles with them. And he got loads of fans and I think it just brought everything together and it made people realise, made myself realise that there's a lot more important to life than than football, even though I'd I'd given all my life to it. It, it opened up my eyes and that's where like we have a second baby. I ended up realizing that listen, football's football's there for the, the present, but it's not going to always be there. And we need to start thinking about what's happening. Cause who knows? I, I might not have survived that. I might not have played again. I might not have this. So me and my wife sat down, we had a different aspect to what was important and ended up trying for a baby and we ended up having another one. So, yeah, the football family is a, it's an incredible thing and I'm, I'm very thankful that I was a part of it. Even though there are bad parts and there are parts that we get tainted with the same brush, every player is the same and every player is privileged and over overprivileged and they're treated like royalty and this and that and they're babies and they don't like this and that. On the most part, the football family has been absolutely incredible. And for me, going through what I've been through, obviously made me realize that a little bit more. It's, um, as I say, it's just huge, huge respect with the, the process. And it's in a, in a strange way when you're in that situation from something. So, I mean, it, is that a normal situation? Of course, it's not a normal situation, but you look back at the, obviously, the impact of the injury and then everything's stripped away, isn't it? It's just you as, as you. And it's just ironic that obviously you say, and I was thinking as we were, we were going through it, you sort of look back at different people, different people's career. And I don't know if you're, you guys are the same, where you have the respect for the people that, that do, do just be themselves. You're like, I can't believe that. He did just turn up in his normal car. He never deviated away from what he was doing and he still done it on the pitch. It's, it's mad when obviously like life is nearly taken from you in that given point where there's nothing left now. And, and you become you again and everyone has the huge respect for you. It's almost like that change that you try and um, go through to, to fit in, if you like. I, I think, Dean, you, you said the same. It almost comes over you for, for no apparent reason because your, your honest um, default is to, is to be you um, and, and stay as you. But it's, it's amazing. It really is uh, an in- incredible story. Um, Dean, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to, to touch on about that, the particular. I know you've you've spoken about it an awful lot, um, the injury side of stuff. And was there anything you wanted to touch on, Dean? No, obviously, it's, like you've mentioned before, Ian, that the way it's potentially affected your career afterwards, but then you played so many games afterwards as well. Did it, for, for an injury like that and the way it happened... Did it affect your career afterwards? Did you feel as though it changed you as a player? Did it change you, your approach, your preparation, your the way you played the game? Did it not? I don't mean physically in terms of physical attributes. I mean the way you used to think. Did it, did it change that? Did there, was there a different approach? 
No, I think if anything, it made me harder. Um, I think because it got into my head that, again, talking about it, but um, it just made me realize that I'm a lot stronger than I think I am. Um, it's, it's crazy because since then, or before that, I never had anything, never had any cuts, never, you get a couple of bruises and bumps and whatever. But since then, my skin is like rice paper. It's, it's, it's crazy. So since, since that, I've probably had more stitches and staples on the other parts of my head than I have on that one. So I think I, th- I was sitting down with my wife the other, probably about a year ago, and I was talking about it. And where that was 42 staples, I've probably got 50 to 60 stitches and staples everywhere else on my head, apart from that. So, and that was all post-surgery. So it's, I think this is where it halted my my progress as a player. I'm not, hey, I'm not being petty and I'm not saying I was good enough to do this and that and whatever. And I'm not uh, crying about it. But since then, I've been questioned every single time I've spoken to an another manager or another coach about maybe going in and another agent or is oh how's your head well mate I've played 400 games 350 games since then like my head's fine well have you seen I've seen specialists and I've had x-rays and CTs and coming out how I haven't got other fingers growing from, from the radiation I'll never know but people always have that perception that oh he got injured he's done mm-hmm but if that was the case, if it, if it was a broken leg, would it be the same? If somebody's like, how many times do people now, and this is me just putting it in, in context is for, for how I think, is how many people go and question Aaron Ramsey? Snapped his leg horrifically. Yeah. Went on to bigger and better things. No disrespect mm-hmm. to Arsenal. He was class. He was captain. Gone on to Juventus on more money and I'm no disrespect again to Arsenal, a more prestigious club than Arsenal will ever be. Like, nobody questions the fact that he broke his leg at Stoke. But because all of a sudden it's a head injury, and I understand, or something mental might be going on or something, wires crossed and you're not the same player, but still getting questioned 10 years later, it becomes a bit repetitive and a bit frustrating for me because I've gone through the work for me, this is getting over my head and getting back to training from my head was far easier than coming back from an ACL. So that was just my mindset was as soon as they said I had, I was able to come back, as soon as they said, okay, we don't recommend it, but it's not impossible to come back. That was me. That was my mindset was, okay, you're not saying it's impossible, then it's possible. So... I was a couple, I think I had, so it happened in November, November 8th. I was back running with the physio just after Christmas. He'd travel over to me and we'd go running just after Christmas. I was back in at the club mid-January, I think it was, end of January, like two times a week, three times a week. And then I was back training with the lads properly end of March. So my mindset was taken in steps. So as soon as they said, I'm okay, okay, I'll let it 
I'll let it recover. As soon as I said, you can come back, let it recover, let the swelling go down, let the scar and the, the scabs and everything go. Then it's the physio comes out. We start running, get up to a level where I'm not exerting too much energy and getting the blood pressure up. Then it was next one. What's my next goal? Okay, well, I'll be back in at the club, do that for a month. What's my next one? When can I start heading the ball? When can I start training with the guys? That was the one that, for me, in my mind, I was, as soon as I was able to start jogging and not get the pain and the dizziness and the whatever, then that was me done. I was ready. But the outside world see it as head injury. Oh, he's, the guy's struggling. Like, will he ever recover? And I understand that. But as soon as, I'd rather them ask me the question respectfully. Like, oh, Hume, how's your head doing? Like, is everything okay? Like, how, how did you recover? How was it? If they did that, then it t- it's a lot easier for me to accept. But it's, a, oh, well, how's his head? Like, that's the first thing. Like, it's just like business standpoint. The business head's on, how's his head? Well, ask me. Ask me properly and ask me respectfully. And, like, I think that would have helped me a bit. But I definitely think that it put too many question marks over me when it came to signing elsewhere. And I think, although I'm not upset with how my career went, uh, like I said, I, I went on for years and years afterwards, so I'm not upset with that. I do think it hindered my career um, as far as progressing. I'm not saying I would have made it much higher than what I made it. But playing in the championship, like I went to leaving Barnsley because one reason or another, Mark Robbins and me didn't see eye to eye. So I needed to go, like like you with going to Sheffield United, I needed to play games. I needed to play. I was 28 years old. Or 21, what was I? Yeah, I was 12, 20, 26, 27 years old. And I'm like, I need to play games. So I just go into one game and ends up not even on the bench. I'm like, yeah, I need to go. Mark, I need to go banged his door down. I hadn't even stopped banging. He opened it. So he knew I was coming. <clears throat> I said, listen, I got to go. He said, um, I can't handle this anymore. I need to play. I've come back from an injury. Asked me to lose weight. Come back in better shape. Lost three, four kilos in off-season, which for me was insane. Came back lighter than I've ever been in my career. Better shape than I've ever been in my career. And then I got pied off for, for guys who hadn't played over 100 games in the league. Yeah, I'm done. So knocked on the door, went out, went to press and buzzed, playing every week like that. And I just needed it for me. I was at a point where I've come back from the most horrific injury that a lot of people have seen for a long time and fought tooth and nail to come back to get pied off and not given a fair crack of the whip. I'm like, nah, that doesn't work. That and from my physical side and for the mental side of the game for me and just me being me, I just can't deal with playing reserve team games or sitting on the bench or sitting in the snap. So then that's the only time I've moved where Darren Ferguson at Preston never asked me once about my head. Never, never once. He's like, listen, Hume, I played against you for years. So he was at Wrexham when I first came through a tram there. Played against him for years and he's watched me when he was at Peterborough and whatever. And then he went to Preston. And not once did he say, oh, so how's your head been? And it's not once. It was just like, great to have you on board. 
that was it. And as soon as that happened, all of a sudden, my mindset changes. My drive to be successful again flares up. So that's me. And I go there and I break into a team that's got strikers there that are ready-made strikers. Your John Parkins, your Chris Browns, your Neil Mellers out on loan. So I'm, I'm coming into a club that's got these players who, no disrespect to myself, but have played at a higher level and achieved more than I ever had. So I'm breaking into that team to try and knock them out of that spot because that's the position I want. And great group of guys. And that's where that, that tight-knit squad was. And we were driving each other and I was just buzzing off it. Just something fresh, something new. I was, I was back enjoying my game again. I was playing week in, week out. I was on the bench one week. I was back in the next week and I was banging goals and ultimately got relegated, which wasn't, happen, which wasn't a good part of the career. But um, it was just great. Like football is it's not a job. It shouldn't be a job. It should never, ever be a job. Once it becomes a job is when you need to get out. You need to either stop playing or you need to move clubs and get into a different environment. And that, that's what it seemed like. When I moved to Barnsley, it was incredible. Loved it. Fractured my skull, out for eight months. Got back, buzzed off it, sitting on the bench every week. Buzzed off it because I was back in that environment. I was trying to fight John Mackin and Daniel Bogdanovich to try and get in that starting lineup, and I couldn't get in. But I didn't mind that because they're banging goals, so I work harder and harder to try and get them out. Then all of a sudden, it becomes a job. And I'm like, I'm fifth and sixth choice striker behind an Argentinian guy who's not played 20 games in his career and a guy from lower leagues who's not played. I'm like, this is not what I'm in it for. This is, I need, I'm, I'm playing a game and getting paid to do it. I need to enjoy doing it, not make it a job. So that was when I knocked, got out. And then all of a sudden it became a game again. And it's like, I'm not in it for that. I'm not in it for working a nine to five type of game. I don't want to be in it to go in and just say, you know what? Clock in, train, clock out, go home. That's not it. I want to be there and I want to be present. I want to be in that mindset where I'm making the most of a gift that I'm given, not just being there to be a part of, be a number. And unfortunately, and this is no just like Barnsley fans and Barnsley community were incredible to me from the start to the end. And even after I left, they were incredible for me. But again, it was made into being a job and I'm not that. And I think the mindset of me wanting to progress in my career kept getting knocked down because it was kept getting question marks about my head. But I knew myself as soon as it became a job, I was my job. My career was never going to go higher anyways, because you're not getting the best out of me. You're not getting the enjoyment factor out of it. You're not getting the love of the game. Any footballer will tell you they're, they're at their, they're at their best and they have their prospects are as high as possible when they're smiling every second of playing. Yep. And I think that's something I lost quite a lot of times when I was at Barnsley and then I essentially at the end of my, halfway through my time of pressing, it happened again, but it was, uh, definitely hindered. I know I've expanded quite a lot on that. Did, do I think it hindered my career? I do at points, but I was still able to do what I love to do. And I still made in p- comparisons to a lot of people, a lot of money doing what I did. So it is what it is. Like I said, like Dean said, like I said, I played a lot of time after that a long time, a lot of games after that. So it's a, 
it's a part of my career I look back at and I realize what made things more important. A um, little bit of disappointment, but I think for the, the mainstay, proud of myself because of how I came back from it and the way my mindset never changed as far as why I wanted it, why I worked so hard. But I think it did in the long haul stop me from progressing past the championship level whether it was in England, whether it was abroad, whatever. But I think I played played as hard as I could and played as long as I could to the, the best I could. I wish it was higher, but definitely proud of what I did. Do you know what, Ian? Do you know what? It sounds as though it made you, as a person, stronger. To have that awareness within your career, to, to appreciate that I don't want to sit on the bench. I don't want to just clock in and clock out. I don't want to just train. I want to go and play football. I want to be happy. I want to have that smile on my face. Me and Louis speak about it all the time. We speak to other players and we try to get that across. You know, a happy person off the pitch is a happy person on the pitch. And it's such a simple trait, but it's so true. When you're playing with a smile on your face, yes, you can be determined. Yes, you can be dedicated. Yes, you can be disciplined, but you've got to enjoy what you do. And, mate, that's brilliant. You've come through that to then still have the love for football because you could have gone the other way and gone, fucking football's done this to me. I don't want to play football anymore. I don't love it. It's not part of my life. And you've gone the other way and gone, I love this game. I want to keep playing this game. That's full credit to you for that. And it almost as though, you know, you seem like a really strong person now, really as though you understand yourself, very aware of what you want and, you achieved so much in your career, mate. Like, so much. Like, what people, like you say, people would have dreamed to have done what, what you did. So, be proud of that, mate. I mean, one thing I've learned is don't look back with regrets. We could have all done things differently. But do you know what? If we'd done them differently, mate, it might have even worked out even worse. Who knows? Do you know what I mean? You've got to look exactly. at it that way. If you made a different decision, it might not have worked out what you believed it would have done. And it could have gone the other way. So, Look, you're, you're, you look like you're in a really strong position now. We speak to a lot of players that are not in a strong position, as in emotionally like you are now, mate. And you've got the rest of your life. Football is just a small part of your life. And I think we all forget that. Because when you play, it's your life. When it's finished, I haven't got a life now. Well, what am I going to do? My life's over. I've got no purpose. I've got no identity. But... You know, you seem like in a strong position, mate. And it's, it's as though, like, your life's beginning now. And I feel like that now. Like, I don't... I feel like life's beginning now. And it's taken me a long time to get there. But that's a good feeling to have. And it seems like you're in a similar position, which is brilliant to hear. It really is. Well, that's it. Like, I'm... I have that love for the game. And, okay, I've stopped playing. But my next chapter of my career is I want to be a coach. So if I'm negative, how am I going to be successful as a coach? So if I come out, like I'm over in Canada now, I've, I've got the local team here where I'm head coach and playing. and I've, I've started up a company with my brother. So how are we going to pass on what we've got if I'm negative, if I'm in a sour, sour part of my mind and I'm, I'm just putting across like negative thoughts and negative aspects of football to, to kids and to players. How am I going to be successful? So for me, I've had to cut a line down the middle of where I was playing. There's a lot of portions of it, which I loved. There's obviously negative points, but those negative points stay over there. I don't care anymore. I, I can't look back and I can't change it. So if I'm going to develop and change somebody's future, 
and how they're going to learn the game and how they're going to progress in the game, I have no spot for that in my life anymore. And listen, lockdowns here and there, like, listen, it's, <laughs> it's the worst port, uh, part of our lives to try and change careers. You're coming into COVID. You're coming into a pandemic. So right in the middle of me changing my career, the worst thing that's happened since the plague's happened. So it's like, it's not ideal. It's not great. Listen, there's negative parts of that, that okay, I'll, I'll portray to the world. Like I'll, I'll speak to the high heavens about it. But when it comes to doing my work, when it comes to me, like I don't need to do it. I'm, I run Zoom sessions up until this week, four times a week for sport fitness, for to help whatever, women, lady or girls, small girls teams, men's team. My men's team, I beast them twice a week. But I take pride out of it, don't get me wrong, but I'm doing it with them. So I'm 37 year old, I got a team full of 20 and 21 year olds and I'm doing the same work as them. And I'm, I'm cause if, if I'm gonna put them through, they need to see that I'm gonna go through it. They need to know that there's a work ethic that I'll demand and that's it. And it's not because I'm trying to be horrible. It's not because I'm trying to make, turn them into robots, but I'm trying to make them realize that if they think they're going to take my spot, because I'm still playing, I'm 37. Okay. I'm old enough to be half of their bloody parents. But if they think they're going to take my spot, they're going to have to work harder than me. And that's, that's something you see a lot of stuff and you, in the aspect of what I'm wanting to do and the, the part of my career I'm wanting to get to is you're seeing a lot of people trying to be fancy. They don't think it's hard. Oh, I can do this trick. Well, well done. Like, that's great. But if I run harder than you, you're not going to be able to do that trick. If I work harder than you, if I tackle you, and you're, you're not going to be able to do that trick. So work on this. This is what I'm trying to get through. And this is the parts of my career that were so important to me being successful was work harder than the guy next to me. And that... That's something there's, you know, how many players, Dean, that you came across in your career who were technically gifted, who were better than you technically. I could honestly, hundreds that I've played against and with that are better than me. But there's also hundreds that I can say didn't work as hard as me. Hence the reason why their career went down. They went and played non-league. They got released by clubs. They got this, they got that. Because, okay, yeah, you were better than me. You had that natural gift. But if you don't combine that with something else, it's a wasted gift. And that's what I'm trying to do. So there's no point of me coming into this aspect of my career and having negative thoughts about what happened in my career. I can't change it. It's done. But you read up about it in a book because, yeah, I worked my ass off for 20 years. So I will be in history books, good and bad, whatever it is. But... Now that I've changed, I'm on this side of the this side of the line and this side of my career. There's no need for that. You read up on it if you want to, but I don't have to. I know what happened. I know what went on. I'm taking this part and the positive side of it and the 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 joy and the success I had in my career, and that's what I'm passing on. And now I've because I've been through that stuff, if I have questions from players, from students from people I'm putting through fitness. If I have questions, I'm, I've got hopefully a lot of answers for them because I've been through the stuff that they're hoping not to go through, but you end up, you will at some point. 
So that's where I, I'm, I'm happy that the crap that went on, the mistakes I made, the injuries I had. I'm, obviously, I see the negative side of things, but other people don't have to see that. That's, they, they need to see what benefited me more, what got me to where I am now, and what got me through 20, well, 21 years of professional soccer, professional football. And that's, I'm, I'm just happy. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I've moved back home after 21 years. My wife's not too happy. <laughs> um, she's away from her family, but it's, it's one of those things. It's just, I'm, I'm in a good place. And like you said, I, I seem to be in a good place and I am. I need this lockdown, these lockdowns and this COVID to get under wraps. And I think I've got a, a hell of a lot to hand, o- hand over to people here and to, to change especially in the area I'm in right now, it's not a footballing town. So now I have, it's a, it's a challenge on my hands is just to get people realizing that this place and this area can, can thrive. And that's, I'm just buzzing off and I just want to get going. I want the seasons to start. And like I was supposed to start last year, but COVID hit and one of those, but it's affected everyone around the world. So I can't really grumble too much about it. Um, but yeah, just need to keep moving forward and try and be positive and do what I can to to pass that on to people, even when they hit rough points in their careers and in their lives. And like that, one of the first things I said to my players was, "Listen, whatever it is, there's always a I'm a text message or a phone call away. You need anything, positive, negative. You want work, you want uh, a bit of insight into what you can do here and there, whatever." don't close the door on anybody who you can help because I know what happened to me back in the day. I never had that shoulder, that, that ear. So now that it's come to that point in my career, I'm that ear, I'm that shoulder. If you need any sort of influence, any sort of advice, I'm opening that door. And I think that's the, the difference now is we have that because it's so highlighted, the mental side of the game, the mental side of life, is highlighted so much more. We've seen the, the crap side of it where it wasn't thought about, wasn't paid attention to. And you've seen, unfortunately, people take their lives and people do this and the other. Now that it's thought about and it's studied a lot more and it's a lot more attention's put upon it, we have we have kind of a, a job to be that, that person, especially if I'm on that side of the line and I'm their coach, I'm their manager. I'm, some of them might be mental, might be their sort of leader if that's what they want, then it's always there. And I think that's uh, something that I'm, I've taken more notice of um, because I never spoke about it a lot. I never spoke about how I felt a lot. So now that I'm at that junction of my career, I think it's, it's time to be that one that, that helps the younger age. And it's like I said, it's, it's an exciting, exciting time for myself. And like, along with my brother opening our business and coaching the local team, I think it's an, it's a time that I need to be positive and I need to be passing that on to everybody. Brilliant, mate. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Ian. It's uh, it's just nice to, to to see you being you, obviously, as 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 Dean Dean puts, you know, sitting with I say just just being you um, is great. And uh, what's the name of the uh, what's the name of the team? I want to follow the progress. What's the name of the team now? Um, and the well, area. our team is. It's a Woodstock soccer club. Awesome. And I've also got my business. I've got my shirt on because I'm running the session after. 
So it's limitless coaching. Ian Hume, limitless coaching. Nice. Limitless. So it's limitless coaching. Fantastic. It's man. a startup. It's startup now. So once things free up and we're going to start running camps through the summer and trying to set up a uh, a base, we're trying to get a school to give us a facility for the year and go from there and get kids out weekly, daily, doing work and then doing my other work and playing as well, keep myself fit. So I'm just trying to beast the beast the guys and do that and just enjoying it, man. Just it's I can't stop playing. It's it's not me. So it's I'm gonna play until my legs don't let me. It's, it's getting harder and harder. It's <laughs> killing me. Ian, be up behind the scenes. We'll be working on a um uh, an ex players. We 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 spoke with Henry Winter a while ago, and uh, we'll be working on a an ex-players um, reunion. So we'll get the leagues going and you'll uh, you'll have the overseas invite, mate. <laughs> hey, hey I've, legs are always going to be able to do some things. Might not be able to run as much as I used to, but I can still smash people. That's one thing for sure. <laughs> it's hey, good. Mate, that's an art. Don't worry about that, mate. That's an art. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was it. Like we, it's, it's funny because I played a, a game the other day. So we, we were running trials and, I was, we were short a player, so I jumped in and I've been playing at the back, just trying to usher people around and be vocal and help them. And our team was losing. So I popped up front and our goalkeeper just pinged a diag and the goalkeeper from the other team thought, okay, I'll come out and claim this. I've come salmon above him. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> so he, he just looked at me as like, Okay, where what? Like, from? where did that come from? I said, <laughs> you should do a little bit more. Look up on your history. I said, that's one <laughs> thing for sure. I'll outjump most people. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. I said, well, now you know that's a, a part of my game that a lot of people won't realize. So now it's, 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 it's exciting times, especially with the local team. So we're, we're putting together a good side and hopefully the season goes ahead as, as normal. Like it got canceled last year. I was supposed to be coached last year. Um, got cancelled all last year and through the winter so fingers crossed it goes this year and I can blow the dust off those boots properly and find those 15 year old shin pads and get them wrapped up and just get going again I just I'm just desperate to get playing and get training and it's a it's a tough time but it's it's something I'm I'm just excited about man I just want to I just want to show people that there is a there's a mindset more than anything and it's a it's a game and not like don't go out and try and take the mick out of people don't go out and try and do all this tricks and there's places to do it and times to do it but be efficient and it's, I think that's something that people forget is when you get past the at the younger age group it's, it's about enjoying and it's all it's all about going out and just smile every second but when you get old and it comes more competitive you need to realize that going out and doing certain aspects of the game, it's it's like need to realize and moments when to do it and trying to figure out how to manage games and just yeah, it's a it's a it's a good part of the the year and it's a good part of the my career and I'm just I just need to get it going properly and just because I want to go further, I wanna I wanna do this to the highest level I can as well now. And you will, mate. Every time you I will. keep trying to bloody start, I keep getting bloody handcuffed. Yeah, there was the same as your football career, mate. You, you, there was two or three times there. You, it'll take time, but you'll, um, with 
the determination that you've had over a long, long period of time, nothing's going to get in your way. So carry on with the patience. Sure. <laughs> Hope so. Stay patient, mate. Stay patient and you'll, um, you'll get what you want, 100%. It's class. Thank you ever so much, Ian. No, Wish my pleasure, man. My pleasure. And thank you, all you guys best. for having me. No, thank you, uh, mate. It's brilliant. Do you know what the best thing about it? Hear the passion, mate, that you've got now. Best thing. It's, it's the best thing. It's, it's un- unfortunately yeah. it's not leaving me. It's not leaving me. Yeah, but that it's, might, but that, that, that that's good news. People listening to this, players listening to this. One thing we talk about a lot, Louis. It just gives people hope, mate. That transition can just be the start, not the end. I think that's what we have, we're trying to get across. All the time. it can be the start, not the end. You can you can you can part the career. You can like really enjoy that. Lessons learned, ups and downs. Fantastic part of my life done everyone else can look at that now i'm moving on it's the passion running through you mate is class like yeah. it's having an effect on me mate listen to you it's brilliant because i'm thinking right what can i do now what what, what you know what, hey, what, where's my passion where's my direction and it's the one thing we talk about a lot louis is that what you've got it sounds like you've got Ian, is you've got direction and you've got that vision you know as a player i wanted to get the best i could whatever that was as a coach you just said it then i'm not just going to coach my local team i'm not just gonna, i'm going to build it i'm going to build my business I want to go to the top. Mate, that's what gets you out of bed every day. That's hey. what gets you doing the things when you don't want to do it. That, that is the, that's the magic. That is the magic formula about anything. Because if you want to do something and you really want to do it, you'll find a way. And that's it. You'd have, you'd have buzzed off at one of my first training sessions with my team. So a guy was showing up late. So we were, we were doing a, we did a passing drill. We went into a switching game. So just a small one. We, there's, I think there was about 18 guys. So we went into like a, a small switching game with the three three slots. And so I, I had to join in because the lad was late. So I was in one of the teams. And you see all these guys fannying about on the ball. And they're like small passes and they're closing down and they're this and that. And it's like not getting close enough. So they're in for like 15 passes. I'm like, this is ridiculous, lads. You're going to kill yourself. So get work and work hard to start. You win the ball back. So the next one, I, my team lost the ball. So I go in with the guy who lost the ball and it was like two or three passes and they dollied a pass. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> clean them out. I'm the coach. But the thing is, I'm still playing. So I've sprinted, ball's gone back and he's a decent little player. I've cleaned him out, helped him up, took the ball, helped him up. So we win the ball back there. They're, they go in chasing, comes back up. My team gives the ball away. I go running in again. The worst thing was it was the exact same lad in the exact same position, dolly to pass back to him. <laughs> Cleaned him out. <laughs> never hurt him, never went through him, never went in nastily. But I showed him, I said, listen, that's what you need. You, there has to be a will to win. Whatever you're doing, there has to be a will to compete. And one of our, he's one of our best technical players. I've just absolutely minced him. I'm like, but I'm not doing it to hurt you. I'm doing it to make sure I win. I said, won the ball. Helped you up on your way. Next thing, kept going. And it's, I'm like, you guys, and I, I spoke to him after and I said, listen, you guys think this is me just trying to stamp down my authority. I said, that's not it. It's far from it. I said, this is me trying to stamp down the mindset you need. Yeah. You need to want to go out and work hard. You need to want to go out and win. And I'm not, I'm not saying go out and cheat. I'm not saying go out and do things that are bending the rules. Said you want to go out and win. There's a difference. Mediocrity is not in my mindset. I'm not there 
oh, I'm mid-table, we've avoided relegation, I'm happy. That's not it. That's not the way anything should be done in any step of life. You don't go to work to, to be like the, the fifth or sixth best lawyer in your firm. You go out there, you want to be the best. You don't go out there to be a dentist and like, oh, well, I'm all right at what I do. It's No, you want to state-of-the-art stuff. You want to be in, bringing in parts that make things a lot better. It's, it's, it's a mindset, and, and that's the thing I'm trying to get across to people is you want to, you want to be a part of something that's going to be successful. Your mindset has to be set before anything else because you come in with an arrogance. You come in with an ex- expectation of being successful. More often than not, you're not going to be successful. But if you come in with a, a mindset of you want to be successful, not expecting it, you know you have to work for it, more often than not, you're going to end up getting what you deserve. And that's what I'm trying to get into people. And whether it's training, whether it's games, whether it's whatever, shooting session. Like that, that's going to be my big one when I get out with the strikers properly. It's going to be a big one because it's going to be competition time. It's going to be doing things to, to be better. And it's, yeah, can go on for hours, by the way. So... I, I can chat yeah, crap for ages Absolutely about anything. Brilliant. Thanks, Ian. Mate, it's a no, it's, pleasure. It, it's an it's a pleasure from us as well. Appreciate your time. Good luck with everything. No I look forward to uh, to tracking the progress. And uh, and don't be a stranger, mate. If it's anything at all um, that we can ever help with any of us, then uh, never never hesitate to uh, to drop us a message. Um, and sure. Uh, I'm sure this will be part one, mate. We'll have you uh, have you back on in a, in a different walk of life, <laughs> yeah. mate. You'll have to oh, edit it about eight times to fit it in. <laughs> well, it's so on that's Liam's job, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's Dean with his nah, new H&M contract. <laughs> 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 no, nah, but seriously, lads, thanks very much for having me Pleasure. on. And if there's anything else that you need at any point, Dean, you've got my number to fire text and I'm there. Yeah, thank right. you, mate. Appreciate the time, no worries, mate. Boys. See you Just later. Take care. Thanks, Ian. All right. Cheers, 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 Cheers. Bye. 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 Bye.